<clears throat> it says in the screen, and as Reuben has said, we're reading from Malachi chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Reading through to the end of the, the book. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. A scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and evil, every evildoer will be stubble, and the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Hi everyone. It's um, probably no secret that uh, in the last few months uh, I've been losing quite a bit of weight and I'm very thankful that I have. But if you've ever gone through a period of weight loss and dieting, or tried to, or even known someone who has, then you'll know that it's actually really hard work. I mean, you have to break habits that have been well ingrained for many, many years. You need to go to an entirely new level of self-discipline. And you need to resist temptation constantly, and all the more so in this food-rich season of Christmas. And as a result, there are times when you truly wonder to yourself, especially as you stand there staring into the deepest recesses of the fridge, whether it's all worth it. Is it really worth all the frustration and the deprivation and the determination? Wouldn't it be so much easier to just forget the whole thing? And you wonder that all the more when you see other people who aren't going through what you are. Their plates are all loaded up. They have one drink after another. They don't ever have to say no. They don't give even a thought to the carbs 
and the sugars and the fats. When you're trying to lose weight, there are times when you truly question, is it really worth it? But we all know the answer, don't we? Of course it's worth it. But only if you move past the immediate struggle and take a long-term view. But isn't that a lot like what Malachi is talking about in our passage today? He's not talking about weight loss, but he's talking about the Christian life, about what it's like to be the people of God who seek to love and obey and serve him. Because the reality is that being a Christian, a true, genuine Christian, also comes at a high cost. It's really hard work. You might remember two weeks ago we looked at the previous passage of Malachi and how the Lord called upon Israel, the people who he loved so deeply and delivered so often, how he called on them to stop robbing him and to bring in the whole tithe. That reminded us that if we're serious about our relationship with God, the God who saves us by his grace and by the blood of his own son, then we need to realize that he calls on us to to give him our very best. He calls us to sacrifice our time and our energy, our money and our possessions, our abilities and our opportunities. The Lord calls on us to put aside our pride and to approach him in humble repentance. He calls us to rid ourselves of self-righteousness and to trust in him alone. He calls on us to stop living for ourselves and to take up our cross and follow Jesus. He wants us to spend time in prayer and devotions and in worship, to play our part in loving and serving his church and to get out of our comfort zones to evangelise the lost And he wants us to do all of this even when we face ridicule or discrimination or persecution. Friends, we are called in view of God's mercy to offer our very bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to him. We are called not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And the fact of the matter is, that's a really hard slog. And so there's times when we wonder, is it all truly worth it? And that's exactly what Israel wondered. Look, if you would, at Malachi 3, verses 14 and 15. They were saying, it's futile to serve God. It all seems useless There's just no point. They were saying, what do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? Why bother with all this obedience and self-sacrifice and sorrow for our sin? It's not doing us even a scrap of good. And they were saying, but now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper and even when they put God to the test, they get away with it. Look at all those people who aren't going through the things that we are. 
They just do whatever they please, thumbing their noses at God, never getting called to account, and then they get all the blessings as well. Israel were asking some deep, dark questions, and and my friends, surely there are times when we are tempted to do the same. Maybe not if we claim to be Christians but don't really ever pay any real price. But when we take God's word seriously, seeking to live it out and counting the cost, it's then that we are really challenged to think, is being a Christian really worth it? But is this a real issue? Does that actually happen? Well, friends, even here in our own church at Riverbank, there are too many people who drift away. For one reason or another, they decide that it's all too hard, that the price is too high, that it's just not worth it to follow Jesus. And maybe that describes you. Maybe you've grown up in a believing family. Maybe you've been drawn to Christianity and been part of it for some time. Maybe you've attended church for years, but you're still not sure. And now it's getting, it's getting hard. And you're wondering, what's the point? And you can see how much easier your life would be if you just forgot the whole thing. Well, in this last part of the book of Malachi the Lord speaks into this exact situation. He addresses his people's grumbling. He answers their deep, dark questions. And ultimately, he tells us, of course it's worth it, but only if you move past the immediate struggle and take a long-term view. And he explains this by speaking of two different responses with two different outcomes. You see, first of all, there are those who, according to verse 13, are arrogant. You have spoken arrogantly against me, says the Lord. And they don't even realise. It says, yet you ask, what have we said against you? These people have become so used to being bitter and cynical and complaining about God that they don't even see that they're doing it. They're the ones saying it's futile to serve God. There's no benefit in obeying him. It's evildoers who prosper. They're taking the short-term view, thinking only of their own immediate pleasures, of what's in it for them right now. They spout off as though they know it all, as if they're wiser than God himself. In verse 18, the Lord says that even though they're part of his covenant community, that they are wicked people who do not serve him. But God also has something to say about their long-term future. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says this, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. Ah, friends, these are are grave words. But they're also true words. The Lord will not overlook those who reject him. He will not overlook those who fail to give him the honour that he is due. Sure, they may prosper for a while, but in the end will come destruction. 
And please understand the rest of Scripture tells us that they will not be destroyed in the sense of no longer existing, but rather in the sense of being banished from God's presence, His love and His eternal kingdom. And so if this is the direction that you are heading, then please, please hear these words today. If you don't want God, if you won't humble yourself before Him or put your faith in Jesus or serve Him in your life, if you are determined to go your own way, well, this is what lies ahead. And you cannot ever say, you cannot ever say that you weren't warned. The world may well be tempting you with its temporary pleasures, but like a calorie-stacked meal from a, from a fast-food restaurant, it may taste good for a moment, but it won't do you any good in the end. And so I plead with you, I plead with you, if this is you, then please reconsider today. Is the Lord speaking to your heart? Is he speaking to your heart right now? Is he calling you to turn around, to finally repent and come to Jesus? I urge you to listen and I urge you to respond because one day it will be too late. But even if you're not heading this way yourself, even if you have experienced the wonderful grace of God, may these words motivate us to think about other people. For we all, we all have people in our lives, family, friends, neighbours, who are heading to eternal disaster. And so we must tell them of the danger. Our oh, friends, let's not stick our heads in the sand. Let's not be people so set on keeping the peace that we never sound God's warning to those who we love so deeply. However, the Lord also describes a very different response with a very different outcome. In chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. Now, these people must also have wondered about the, the benefit of serving God and why the wicked prosper. But yet their attitude toward God was so incredibly different. In contrast to those who spoke arrogantly against the Lord, these people spoke to each other in light of their fear of the Lord. And we shouldn't think of this fear as simply a case of being afraid or terrified. But we should think more of a deep-seated respect and awe and, and veneration for God. They didn't respond with arrogance, no, they responded with reverence. And this reverence, it implies an understanding that God is God and we are not. It implies a recognition that He is the creator and the judge and the ruler of all. It implies a knowledge that, that He is faithful and just, full of compassion and love. And it implies an utter trust that He has everything in hand, even when we can't see it. And we're told that God Himself recognised their fear and their faith, for he listened and he heard. 
But what is the outcome for those who respond to the Lord with such reverence? Well, first in verse 16, we're told there that a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honoured his name. These people may have been tempted to think that God had forgotten about them. But no, he hadn't. For he had their names securely recorded on a scroll. The Lord Almighty, the very maker of the heavens and the earth, he made a permanent record of all who trust in him. But this also has long-term consequences. Listen to verse 17. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possession. This is so different to what we saw in chapter 4, verse 1. The day is coming when God will take action, when he will impart justice, when he will set everything straight. But on that day, those who fear him will be absolutely safe because they belong to the Lord. He says they are mine. They're my treasured possession. And then it says, I will spare them just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. You see, these people were not without sin. They too deserve judgment. But because they were reverent and not arrogant, clinging to God in faith and humbly serving him, he will spare them. They will not be destroyed, but they will be delivered And all because God is a compassionate Father who deeply loves his children. And then verse 18 adds this, And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. On that day there will no longer be any confusion, any uncertainty or any pretending. For it will be a day of a great separation as the Lord divides humanity into those who love him and those who don't. And for those who love the Lord, it will be a day of incredible joy. Listen to chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. What What an awesome picture. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. We will finally, finally be cured of this infection of sin. We will be made completely holy in God's sight. And we will frolic like well-fed calves. Like a calf released from its stall, we will finally be free. Free of temptation. Free of guilt. Free of troubles free of pain, free of death, free of tears. And on that day, we'll never again fear the scorn of the wicked, for God's justice will finally be done. So friends, if you're ever wondering whether being a Christian is worth it, 
then I would urge you to listen to these glorious words. There is no doubt that for a time we will struggle and suffer and even feel like it's the non-Christians who had the better life. But God promises that he has not forgotten us. Our names are written in his scroll, yours and mine. All those who fear the Lord can be assured of his love and his protection. Even in the hardest of times, we can know that we are not alone. He will never leave us. He will be faithful to us all of our days. And he promises that a day is coming, a day when we will finally and fully be his treasured possession, when in his compassion he will spare us, when he will separate the reverent from the arrogant. And on that day, we will be fully restored to righteousness and we will jump for joy before the Lord, for he will right every wrong and he will make all things new. And so, yes, my friends, being a Christian is most certainly worth it. But only if you can move past the immediate struggle and take a long term view. But now there's one last thing to think about and that is how can we be sure? I mean how can I be sure that by going through the the struggle of weight loss that it's going to be worth it in the end? Well I can be sure because there's evidence, because there's studies that have been done, because there's the experience of others to draw on. But the same applies in the Christian life. How can we be sure that by going through these struggles of of serving the Lord and staying true to Him, that it'll all be worth it in the end? Well, in the final words of our passage, and in fact the final words of the entire prophecy of Malachi, the Lord gives us His evidence. First, in chapter 4, verse 4, He says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. The Lord tells his people, always come back to the book, to, the, to, to always be people of my word. For it's only the Bible, my friends, that tells us of the true character of God and of the full extent of our own sin, and of the absolute wonder of the Lord's salvation, and of the utter importance of serving Him. It's only the Bible that can teach us about the reality of life here on this earth today, but also of that glorious future that lies ahead. And so if we need evidence that being a Christian is worth it, then we need to remember God's law. We need to stay focused on his word. But the other thing we're told is in verses 5 and 6. The Lord says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So what does that all mean? Well, the Lord told the people of Israel that the day of judgment is coming. 
And he told them that on that day he would deliver those who feared his name. But yet the people of Israel must have wondered, how, how can that be? For they were sinful. They were sinful people and he is a holy God. They were fully deserving of him coming to strike the land with destruction. But here the Lord promises that something amazing was going to happen. He says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day when the Lord comes. And who is Elijah? Well, the book of Luke tells us that this is a reference to John the Baptist. He's the one, Luke says, who came in the, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And we already heard about John the Baptist a few weeks ago, didn't we, in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And what we saw is that when this man came, he came with an, with an incredibly special task, because he came to prepare the way for one who was even greater than himself, for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For Jesus is the one who came at Christmas all those years ago to make salvation possible, to make it possible for every single person who repents and believes in him. He's the one who came to pay the price for sin as he died upon that cross. But Jesus is also the one who's coming back. He's coming back on that great and dreadful day of the Lord. And when he comes, he will judge the living and the dead. And when he comes, the reverent, those who feared, loved and trusted the Lord, they will be saved. They will be delivered. And so how can we be sure that being a Christian is worth it? Ah, oh, my friends, by looking at the evidence by trusting in God's Word and by trusting in God's Son, our precious Saviour, Jesus Christ. So as we conclude, I want to reflect on our response to this passage today. Do you sometimes wonder if it's worth it to keep following Jesus, to sacrifice so much for the Lord, are you sometimes tempted to just forget the whole thing? Do you sometimes look at the world around you and wonder why others seem to be more blessed than us? Well, listen to the Lord's message. He says, of course, it's worth it. But you have to move past your immediate struggles and take a long-term view. He says, remember... Remember, my children, that the day is coming when I will deliver all those who loved me and served me in this life. And on that day, we will experience such amazing joy as we finally see our God face to face and as we dwell with Him in glory. And so don't give up. Keep the faith. Trust God's Word and trust God's Son. Because, my friends, in Him we have all that we need. 
We are God's treasured possession and we can live every day in the light of an eternity with Him. Amen. Let's pray. Our dear Lord God and loving Heavenly Father, you've told us some very profound and deep things in this passage here today. Father, thank you for reminding us of the fate of the wicked, of those who ignore you and who do not want your salvation. Lord, help us to care for them, to care about them, to care so much that we are willing to do the uncomfortable thing and to bring the gospel and to urge them to turn back to you in faith. But Lord, you've also reminded us today of the fate of the, the reverent, those who fear you and love you and cling to you in faith. And Lord, we want to pray this morning that every single one of us here may be numbered among them, that our names too are, are written on that glorious scroll. And Father, may that knowledge comfort us and may it strengthen us as, as we go through hard times in life. Lord, may we be able to look to that wonderful future that you have prepared for us in the eternal glory of heaven. May we look to the evidence of your word and of your son and may that assure us that being a Christian is absolutely worth it in every way. Lord, please work in the hearts of those who do not yet believe. Lord, we bring before you people who we know in our families, our children, our parents, our siblings. Lord, we bring before you our friends who do not walk with you. Maybe they once were part of your people, but now they aren't anymore. Lord, we bring before you people who we know, our neighbours, our colleagues, and Lord, we pray, please have mercy on their souls. Please work in their hearts that they too may turn back to you and may be part of your people. And Lord, may we truly be able to celebrate the coming of your Saviour this Christmas. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.